I'm not one of those really spontaneous artists. I sometimes wish I was like, I sometimes wish I was just like, woo, I'm Joan Mitchell and I'm going to make this abstract painting and like, look at me go. And I admire that so much. And it's not part of my nature. Like my nature is to like think and think and think and think. And like every decision means something <laughs> and like half the people aren't going to know that, but it means something to me and I can't just do something randomly. So it really tickles me that like you think it makes you think or that it makes other people think because I feel like that's what art is for really. I mean, art is kind of the last spaces where you can really talk about anything. Like nothing is off the table. Like we have such a hard time now talking about nuanced information and like opinions. And I feel like art is one of the last places where you could really do that in a way that is meaningful. Hey, it's Margot Tantow here. Welcome to Windowsill Chats, a podcast for creatives and the creatively curious. I am so glad you're here. I've spent decades working with artists and being one myself. I've spent time in the trenches, figuring out the best way to get something made, how to put oneself out there, how to get your work noticed, and pull yourself up and face the next challenge. Windowsill Chats brings you creativity from a global perspective, as I talk in depth to friends I've met along the way. I'm here to bring their stories to you, as well as a few of my own, and see if there's anything you can pull out for yourself. Maybe a laugh, something you can relate to, and definitely a little bit more community for your quiet corner. So grab a cup of tea or coffee or a glass of wine and join me over in my sunny windowsill. Yes, I need your trouble. Thank you so much for tuning into Windowsill Chats. Wherever you are and whatever you are up to, I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for taking me along with you. And today you are also taking along the lovely Lisa Solomon in your headphones or however you listen. And I'm sure this conversation will inspire. Lisa is just wonderful. She and I met recently at an art retreat here on Vashon Island, which certainly not many of us have been able to do in person. And this was the first one I did in a while. We were both speakers. And then I popped into her class, which you'll hear a little bit about. Lisa lives in Northern California with her family and all her animals. And her work is shown internationally and is in numerous public and private collections. Lisa is profoundly interested in the idea of hybridization. This is sparked from her Hapa heritage. She is half Japanese and half Caucasian. Lisa's mixed media works revolve thematically around discovering her heritage, domesticity, craft, feminism, and the pursuit of art as science and research. She is frankly obsessed with color and color theory, which we all benefit from, and she's drawn to found objects tending to alter them conceptually so that their meanings and original uses or intents are repurposed. She gives us lots to think about. She is definitely a creative thinker and doer. 
Lisa often fuses wrong things together. And by that, I mean recontextualizing their original purposes and incorporating materials that inherently question and skirt the line between art and craft, which has forever been an interest of mine. So I'm quite drawn to her work. Lisa's latest book, which we talk a great deal about, is called A Field Guide to Color. It's a watercolor workbook all about color and color theory. And it quickly became the number one watercolor book on Amazon. Some of you might even have it on your shelves. Lisa has another book on embroidery, and it's called Not Thread Stitch. Her illustrations were used for a book entitled Draw 500 Everyday Things, any of you have that, which was a pocket follow-up to her book, 20 Ways to Draw a Chair and 44 Other Magnificent Everyday Objects. Lisa regularly teaches art at various colleges in the Bay Area, and currently she is teaching at San Francisco State University in California. She also teaches workshops all over the world when the pandemic allows. One of the things I love about Lisa is she's quite interested in social practice and expanding her own studio work to include a larger community. She has participated in several residencies and opportunities that allow for this kind of development. She's been an artist in residence at all sorts of fascinating places doing wonderful things. And the list is quite lengthy. And to me, it just goes to show that she's really curious and and a thinker, and she just does it and makes it happen. Lisa and I talk a lot about her new color deck that goes along. Well, it sort of goes along and is a second to the field guide. So it's called the color meditation deck. And you know what, you guys, I have a 30% off code for you. It is valid. Thank you very much, Lisa and Shambhala through August 13th, 2022. It is only valid on Shambhala.com. I'm going to spell that for you. S-H-A-M-B-H-A-L-A, Shambhala.com. The code, it will be in the show notes as well, is Margo30, M-A-R-G-O-3-0. But get yourself over there because 30% off this fabulous deck. Oh my gosh, I swear you're going to love it, love it, love it. Another cool thing to know that Lisa and I talk a lot about supplies and she does have a list of things tucked away on Amazon. Not that that's her favorite place to shop, but it could be really useful for you because it's a highly curated list that she's put together. That is on amazon.com backslash shop backslash Lisa Solomon, L-I-S-A-S-O-L-O-M-O-N. So now that we've gotten through all the spelling and all the details, these will indeed be on the show notes as well. And again, as usual, you can find those at Tanto Studio backslash podcast. Again, if your head is spinning, just relax. We're about to get into all the good stuff. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Lisa Sullivan, for being here with me today. Very excited about that. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Oh, you know, for all of you out there in podcast land, Lisa, I feel like you're my like long lost friend. However, I just met you. I love it when that happens. I know. I feel like we've like, I know we've known of each other yes. and we've been in the same room a couple yes. of times, but having actually spent some time with you, it some is hangout like time. that. <gasps> Oh, we're soulmates. <laughs> I know, I love <laughs> I was really looking forward to it. Like Lisa is somebody that I could, you're somebody that I could feel like I could talk to every week and be like, come up with all sorts of schemes. Yeah. yeah it could so. be dangerous if we talked to everybody. <laughs> it could be. So we'll just start now, which is good. So you, you do all sorts of things and you're a teacher and it's that time of year where things <laughs> are winding down. Are you just, it, the cool thing about being a teacher is, you get a break. I think you get summer. Yes. I I think think that's so important. It's 
It's why I have kept this day job for so long because, well, it's inspiring in its own right. I mean, it's also sometimes incredibly challenging and draining and all the things, but I love being around the energy of students and what they bring to the table. And when they're really engrossed, like all these light bulbs go off and it's like, you get to live vicariously through them and their light bulbs, Yeah, um, which is great. But yeah, having the summer is really necessary. A, because I need to get my own work done. I mean, I work during the year anyways, but it just always feels like I'm stretching and stretching and stretching and stretching. And then like summer, at least it's not quite as tenuous and difficult and stressful. It's a little more relaxed. It's a break. It's, but there is something to be said for, I mean, since we're not just going to keep having kids all our lives to, to be inspired by, to, to uh, teach and learn from and be inspired by those upcoming creatives is pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. It's also really fun to see how they change. Like there rarely are generational shifts and you get to see it when you're with younger people, you know, like I really, you really can see how, whoa, they're becoming more politically active or whoa, Mm. this is starting to happen. Or these kinds of words are getting used a lot or, you know, like you just start to see these things and it's really fascinating. And it makes me think a lot about, you know, what we did when I was a teenager or in college and like what was important to us and how that shifted and changed. Changed. And I'm just really fascinated by all of that too. I am too. I think there's a lot to be said for remaining flexible to that change and being, being a teacher or being anywhere where you're around it, kids or whatever, making yourself volunteer. If you're not, you know, to, yeah. to, to be part of that conversation, I think is yeah. keeps us keeping on. Yeah. So I want to know, I know you and I've talked about it a little bit, but share just a little bit more about your creative path, just kind of how you, you have, you do so many things. I can't, there's so many things I want to ask you all at once, but just kind of how, how did you meander to, to being a creative person? Yeah. I mean, it's a very strange, I think one of the best things about being creative is there is no set path. And then one of the hardest things about being a creative is there is no set path. I mean, there have definitely been moments in my life where I was like, why wasn't I just a scientist? So it was like A, B, C, D. I'm in my lab. I'm doing my thing. Um, I do kind of treat my studio like a lab. So I I was going to say you are in your lab. So I get to fulfill that aspect, but I mean, I went to, I went to Berkeley as an undergrad. Um, I had met one of the professors over summer forced by my dad to go into her office over summer. She happened to be (laughs) sitting in there and I just instantly loved her, Catherine Sherwood. And I knew that I wanted to be around her. Mm -hmm. And so she made my decision for me about where I was going to go to school. And I was in the art department and it took a couple semesters to really get into it like I think I see this too like there's one level of student that's doing it because they're you know really creative and really into art and but they're not going to be an artist like Mm -hmm. they're not they're not going to grow up to do this forever and that's fine and we need those people and I'm happy to have them in the classroom and then there's a cohort that usually is really serious and and you know, so it took me a while to get into that like second group of people <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> to like uh-huh. figure out that this really was what I wanted to do. 
And so then I graduated from Berkeley and, you know, I waited tables like everybody does. And I started applying for jobs in my field. I was like, what can I do that's art related? That's going to teach me about art stuff. Sometimes that's hard to figure out. Yeah. And I didn't want to wait to tables forever. Like that was not like a long term and I had worked retail and I definitely didn't want to be in retail forever. Yep. yep. <laughs> so I started applying to like gallery jobs and then luckily I got one with the help of two former professors who put in good words for me. And so I worked at a commercial gallery in San Francisco and it was one of the oldest ones. It was started Which one? Did Ruth Bronstein, Bronstein Key no, Gallery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she started in 1961, I think. And not only was she one of the oldest galleries, but she was one of the first women owned spaces. She did a lot to promote Bay Area ceramics at a time when ceramics wasn't being taken seriously. So there was a lot of good meaty like information Mm, for me to be had there. So I learned a lot about the business side um, and I worked for her for a couple of years. And then I worked for another guy named Ed Russell who had a secondary market gallery Mm. for a couple of years. And that was also great because I saw a totally different side of the art world and how that functioned. So I really feel like I got a good backend education. And it's a great learning. Yeah. And then I really felt like I had to make a choice. I was either going to keep you know, working on the dealer side. And I loved helping artists sell their work and like fund their careers and getting to talk to them, like talking to like living, working, not dead, all age (laughs) range, all age range of artists was super inspiring and like going to their studios and just kind of seeing how they built a life because there's no, Like there's a little bit of that now, but there was nothing about that then, right? There's no social media. There was no No. behind the scenes. Like, what does your studio look like? Like, what do you do for money? If you aren't making enough money off your artwork, like they didn't teach you that at school. No, no. I mean, we had no, I taught a professional practice class for years and years and years and years and years. And there was nothing like that when I went to school, like zip zero. So that was incredible. But I came to the point where it's like, am I going to be an artist or am I going to be a dealer? Right, right. And I, I didn't think I could do both healthfully. Like it just got to the point where things were like, you know, no artist wants to hear like, um, I need a sofa. I need a painting that's going to go over my sofa that has green in it. And it needs to be 48 <laughs> inches by 48 inches. Oh, and like, yeah. that was the kind of stuff I had to help yeah. people find. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so I wouldn't tell the artist that that's what was going on behind the scenes. I'd just be like, <laughs> Hey, we sold your piece. But in my head, I was like, ew. You know? Yes. No, it's, it's such a, you really have to, it's a, such a conscious choice because you can go on and on supporting and, or being a support of some system in, or some sort in the business system. But then where do you put your kind of stake in the ground to say that's wait, that's me. I want to be that. Even if it's to go over someone's sofa, don't tell me, but I'm going to, I want to do that. I want to put the brush down or the crochet hook or whatever it is. Yeah. So I went to grad school. I applied to grad schools and I thought, well, that'll be the way for me to like seriously decide. (laughs) (laughs) I was fortunate enough to get into the one that I really wanted to go to, which was Mills College. So in 2001, Mm -hmm. yeah, I went to grad school 
And that was life-changing. I mean, it really, all that time, all that energy, everything devoted to your practice. Like I had never been that serious. Um, It was incredibly challenging, but in the best possible way. And it was the first time I ever like said artist first. Like Mm. when people asked me what I was, I never said artist first. And Mm. then like grad school kind of like, oh, I can say artist first now. Yeah, (laughs) I've earned it. I do. I think at, well, I don't know. I can only speak for myself, but I, I really do think that's what my gut wanted was to be that artist, but I was so still messing around in school and, and too young to say, to claim it. Cause I, I really wanted to go to art school. I know I've talked about this before on here, but you know, my parents wanted me to have a well-rounded education, which was wise. But then when I then should have gone on, I was so done with school and I went in, I started working and I didn't come back to it. Or I think my, my own art practice would have looked a lot different, a lot different. Yeah. I mean, taking five, it took me five years to go to grad school. And I honestly think that was the perfect amount of time. I mean, I was 30. I knew more what I wanted. I was dedicated. I knew that this was two years that it was going to go really fast and that I had to be all in or it wasn't worth it. Mm. So it was like, you know, I was there. (laughs) I think very present. Like I wasn't as an undergrad and I don't think you can ask an undergrad to be that present. Like it's not possible. We don't have it in us quite yet. Some people do. I didn't. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I was, I think as serious as I could be at that moment in Mm -hmm. time, but definitely not at all. Well, you're experiencing so many things for the first time, you know, just making decisions on your own in a different way, being out, being, you know, figuring out who you are in a different way. So also just like, just taking everything in, you know, like you are pretty, most people are pretty sheltered when they first get to college. Right. So it's the first time the choices are really yours. Like even if your parents have a voice or, they're saying something to you, you can actually choose to ignore them, which is yes. harder in high school than yes. it is in college. When dinner might rely on it or driving the car yeah. or whatever. Yeah. No. And I think there, I talked to so many people who, who figure that out much later, you know, okay, this, I've done this career for X amount of years. Now it's my turn, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but how do I, how do I fit that in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, then after that, I, you know, was done with grad school and I do what all creative people do. I just started hustling. So like, it's partially like being open and saying yes to a lot of things in the beginning. And then, you know, like at the time blogs were really big. So like, I got a, I don't know how, but like people started paying attention to what I was saying on a blog. And then I made, made all these incredible friends, like including Lisa Congdon and like, you know, all these people that we know, like that all happened on blogs. Like we would get up every day and read each other's blogs and comment and, and then like start our days. And like, that's not how the world works now, but all these opportunities, like my first book came from the blog, like everything kind of came from this community that really generated organically. And I'm sad that things don't quite happen that way anymore, but I feel really fortunate that I was in there at that time and was able to 
do all these things yeah. because of the connections that I made at that time. Well, when you look back at those connections and the people that were really um, showing up in that way in that time, those are just some amazing people doing amazing things still. It's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 You know, I was digging around and I forgot about these, but I found your make-believe collection. Oh yeah. Yeah. For poppy talk. For poppy talk. They're so cool. Even me, you know, the other day I was like, Oh my God, I, I haven't heard of this artist. What a good idea. That was super fun. And I mean, Jan was so open to it. Like that really had nothing to do with what she was doing really. You know, she was like, she's still like a powerhouse in like design and decor, but we just had these really interesting yeah. conversations about art. And I was like, Oh, I just wish I could make up a collection. And she's like, well, would you want to write about it? And I was like, so cool. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll put a link to those in the show notes on the website because they're really, it's such a cool way to think about it. Cause I tend to do that with my camera when I'm out somewhere, I'm, I'm just going to have this collection in my phone instead yeah. of on my wall, but yeah. to be able to see it and go back and see those people and read your words. It was, it's really good. Yeah. Oh, I'm so, I'm glad they're still up and out in the world and that you found them. That was one of my favorite side projects ever. It was a good one. <laughs> yeah. It was a good one. So blogging led you to great connections. Yeah. And then what? And then, I mean, I had a studio, I made work consistently. I figured out a way to make work. I was lucky enough to get teaching gigs. So once I had an MFA, I could teach and teaching was a good schedule so I could semi-balance. So I could be in the studio a few days a week and then teach the other days a week. And I'm one of those people, I have a really hard time completely freelancing. It just scares me a lot. Yeah. Um, it's nice to have just that confidence that something's just a little in. bit of steady income. <laughs> so, yeah. Like I know, okay, I know I have this much money and then everything else is kind of bonus. I love that. Um, yeah. So, and then I was still doing some freelance graphic design at the time. So I really was like all over the place. And then, you know, I, it's just, it's hard to really pinpoint how it happens, but things just kind of snowball. And like, once you start having a few gallery shows, then certain other people get interested and then stuff just starts to happen. You know, like I can't, I, I don't have like a definitive, I think just being willing to put yourself out there like genuinely forging real relationships, because I think that that really helps you like finding your people, finding yeah. the spaces where you belong and then figuring out when you don't, and then just backing off and letting it go. You know, yeah. like you can have all these dreams and wants and desires, but if that space in you, or, you know, that curator in you are not connecting, then it's not going to work. So you just have to like, know that there's somebody else out there who is the right. Yeah. Just have faith in that for sure. And like you said, in the beginning, it's a, it's a windy road and that's, that's the whole thing. You're the path is based on the decisions you make, the community you have, you find, you keep it. It's it. I mean, we could have gone any which way, but we all went the way we went and and I think it's just, I love asking that because it's fascinating, you know, just, and, and, and such great things come out of that. It's like, I made this decision to go to grad school. What if you hadn't, you know, it would have looked totally different, you know, it would have I, looked totally different. I don't think I would be making as much as I make. I think I totally would have been a hobbyist. I don't, nothing that I have now would have really manifested if I hadn't yeah. gone to grad school. Grad school was a very pivotal point 
And I'm really glad I got to go and that I got to go in a time when it didn't cost like as much as it does now. (laughs) There are so many things I hate about um, contemporary collegiate experiences and how expensive they are. And, And it's really not fair. No, and it makes not. things re- like I did not go into debt going to grad school. Mm, wow. And and I cannot imagine what it would feel like if I had. And I mm-hmm. feel for people who have to make a certain amount of money just to pay off the debt that they have from school. Yeah, it's very it's very daunting. And having, yeah. you know, we still you and I still have that in our kids future. It's equally daunting. <laughs> Yeah. And trying to think about a way to mitigate that, because I think that's way too much pressure for a young person to be like, you have a house mortgage over your head and you won't own a house because you have to pay down your college. Like, that's not fair. It's not fair. fair. It isn't, but I don't know. You know, I don't have the answer to that, but I think it, it really is there's a lot of different ways to, to be educated these days and to have the experiences. And I say, lean in to what, to what feels right. I think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you, one of the things that, that is clear, um, at least to me, when I look at your artwork right away is that you have, you use so many different mediums. You're, you lean into this and you lean into that. I think one of the, when I first saw you online was, or really kind of followed you a lot was when you did the whole doily crochet mm-hmm. project. Mm-hmm. And I don't mm-hmm. even know when that was, but how did you, how did you lean into all those? How was that something that you tried along the way, even in grad school or like, yeah, or- I mean, grad school was pivotal in the shift in my mind. I was a painter when I went to grad school and I used mixed media in the paintings, but I thought I was a diehard painter Mm. and then grad school taught me that no I was just an artist Uh (laughs) and I needed to use whatever material they needed (laughs) in order to make the work that I wanted to make and the thing that got me most excited was finding a topic that was of interest to me for whatever reason delving into that topic, researching that topic through the research, figuring out how I wanted to visualize or what Mm -hmm. it was that was important to me in that topic and how I wanted to express that and then finding the means to do that. So I learned how to embroider in grad school, really. My grandmother was a huge embroiderer, but I wasn't very big into it. And then I read The Subversive Stitch Mm -hmm. by Rosalika Parker and it changed my life. I had always been like you know, feminist. I took women's studies classes at Berkeley. I read a lot of bell hooks. Yeah. yeah. I was really into all of that, but I didn't know how to vocalize it through the work. And then reading that book and thinking about embroidery as a subversive act just blew my mind. And so then I was like, okay, I'm going to learn how to embroider. Like, it's not, it's not an old lady thing. People sitting in the corner of their room, like, you know, by the lamplight in the Victorian era, like it's more than that. Well, it's such it's, it's, it's a digestible way to get a message across. It's such a familiar, it has that familiar hand, like that grandmother warmth, but then it's like, "Mm, gotcha. Yeah. But you can like, you know, you can twist it. Yes. (laughs) So, and then I also realized that that twist was what always 
fascinated me in other people's work, in my own work, like taking something and just like subtly maybe or not so subtly altering it so that mm. it becomes more than one thing. And then I had this really smart friend, you know, she was also Hapa, she's half Japanese and I met her at Berkeley. And one day we were sitting in my studio and she's like, you're a hybrid and everything you do is a hybrid. Mm. And it took her just saying that out loud for me to really like think about it and be like, oh my God, she's right. Like I never, it's never just A and B. It's always like a combo of A and B. (laughs) Did you think that, do you like, how do you stand in that? You know, is that a good thing? For me, it's the only thing I know. I don't know anything. It's interesting though that it, 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 you feel like it trickles down to your work. It totally trickles down to my work because it's, I never usually like, I never use one material straight, Mm -hmm. right? It's always like drawing with, with thread Mm -hmm. or like crochet with painting or crochet with sound Mm -hmm. or, you know, installation with things going around the room or using the floor or, you know, just all these, all these things. It's never just one thing. I think that's what makes your work so fascinating though. I, I remember thinking, wow, okay, this person is looking at this so differently. First, I, I am such a fan of collecting or showing one thing many, many ways. And I know that's really a through thread in your work. And I, I just love that so much. It makes some, the mundane so much more interesting. And I think to, to really create a story around that. And like you said, combine it with another thought or another medium or another way of looking at it. Just again, it just, it just makes us think so differently. And, and you're, you're an artist that makes people think. And I, I love that. Oh, wow. That's so nice. I mean, I, I, I'm glad I, I, I mean, I definitely think a lot about what I'm doing. Like the thinking part is you know, I'm not one of those really spontaneous artists. I sometimes wish I was like, I sometimes wish I was just like, Woo, I'm Joan Mitchell and I'm going to make this abstract painting and like, look at me go. And I admire that so much. And it's not part of my nature. Like my nature is to like think and think and think and think. And like every decision means something (laughs) and like half the people aren't going to know that, but it means something to me and I can't just do something randomly. Um, so it really tickles me that like you think it makes you think or that it makes other people think because I feel like that's that's what art is for, really. I, I don't I mean art is kind ultimately, of the, you know, last spaces where you can really talk about anything. Like yeah. nothing is off the table. Like we have such a hard time now talking about nuanced information and like opinions. And I feel like art is one of the last places where you could really do that in a way that is meaningful and not fake and authentic and personal. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed that you say, well, you know, I, again, I remember the visuals because it, to me, it was first, I saw, you know, this collection of things that were simple yet dynamic. And I wanted to know more. And then, you know, over the years watching these different um, exhibits you've put on and collections you've put together and then coming and taking that watercolor class from you just sort of because I could, I had time and, and 
Lisa had us, you had us do a color wheel that was, you know, laid out like a typical color wheel, traditional color wheel, but what's your favorite red? What's your favorite red orange? What's your favorite? It was so, it was just a, you know, just such a different way to look at it. It only, I just felt like in two hours, like it just cracked open. I, I could let go of you're supposed to do it this way. Yeah. I think that's what a lot of us hang on to. And I mean, it's amazing. I don't know how many hundreds of people I've done personal color wheels with now. Yeah. And so many people are like, why have I not done this before? (laughs) And it's kind of just like, because no one gave you permission to do it before. So I'm here to say, do it this way, which is like not the regular way. And I love that. I mean, everyone's relationship to color is so personal. It's just like, it's, you know, your favorite red is definitely not my favorite red. And there's probably maybe one other person in the room or world whose favorite reds are the same. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's like, and just knowing that, and then kind of like accepting it and being like, Oh, look, wait, these all work together. Like that's the thing that always thrills me is like when people do their personal color wheels, they all look good. Yes, they do. They're stunningly beautiful. (laughs) And it's not, you know, because you could mix red and yellow to the proper ratio to make orange. You just, made a good orange. Exactly. You know, you were t- telling me about an exercise you do with your class, which you'll have to share because I want to get into you and your color. But I told my sister about what you were afraid might not be in the market anymore to match color to. So she was riffing on all this. What about NECA wafers? We were <laughs> so, conversation. so so Lisa does this really cool thing, you know, remembering you're a teacher. So you've you've tried and and perfected these great exercises with so many people, but you were telling me that you have a match color to, okay. The tropical starburst. (laughs) And then I was back looking at your stuff and seeing some pictures of that because the colors are so cool. So tell you tell, cause I'm, I'm a newbie. So, I mean, matching colors, mixing colors is really, really challenging. And like, so often students make a color and they never know how to make it again. Right. And like, this is part of your job. Like your job as an artist is to be able to be like, okay, I'm going to make this amount of green and then I'm going to be able to make it again. Right. Or I see something in the world. I see this flower and I want to make the, you know, deep blood red maroon color of that peony that I love so much. Right. And it's not easy. Like people think, oh yeah, you just buy paint. And it's like rarely, even if you have, like I have watercolor sets that have a hundred colors in them and rarely is the color perfect right out of the tube. So figuring out like how to mix colors and how to remake colors, it's a skill. It is a learnable An important one. Yeah. And so I feel like part of my job as a teacher is to not only point that out, but then try and figure out a way to make that not a tedious learnable skill. So I have my students match Starburst candies and Starburst candies, especially the tropical ones, which are now like impossible to find. (laughs) I feel like I need to like stock up on them and put them in a freezer so I have them for like all time. Um, But Starburst are amazing because the outside wrapper and the inside candy are usually related, but not in the way that you think they are. 
So like there's a green, there used to be a green one and the inside was like a lighter version and it's kind of a lime green. And so you think that you just need to add white, but that is not the case. Ah. Adding white is not the ticket. Like you do need white, but you also need other colors. And so it becomes this very challenging thing and students take the candy and they open it up and they usually do one or the other first and it's pretty fast. And then they try to do the other one and they find out that it's a lot harder than they think it is. So cool. And so I'm always like, try the color that you don't think is going to work. Like try the compliment or like, you know, have you tried yellow? Because yellow does the thing where it like brightens other colors up and, and, you know, then they do it and they're like, oh my God, I never would have tried that, but look, it works. (laughs) (laughs) Look at that. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and I think, I, I mean, I'm off topic, but somebody designed that color on the inside and the wrapper. I am that is that fascinates me so Mm -hmm. much and nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, other candies work too, but there's something about the magic of the outside and the inside Mm. of Starburst. So I enjoy it more. I mean, I did high choose with my watercolor class this last semester because the outside is like very white, but still has like a tone to it. So that was good, but it's just not, there's something about like, starburst and so starburst if you're listening please do not discontinue the weird colors (laughs) i made a little note to myself to do a little recon on that for sure i know so color you have gifted many many people with your thought on color through your books yeah talk to us a little bit about your passion for that I don't know when it, when and where it started. How about, yeah. How'd you even think I'm going to do this? Well, I mean, I can tell you the story of the book and I can tell you that I used to always draw rainbows when I was a kid. So mm-hmm. like it was always rainbows with a cat. And I think <laughs> I was like trying to do Hello Kitty, but I wasn't really good at it. So it was just rainbows. I could so relate. I, yeah. Rainbow's cat and then maybe a horse head here or there. Yes. And, <laughs> and some clouds. Oh, I could yes. never do a horse. I was never good at horses, <laughs> but rainbows and cats. So I know, I mean, I think all kids are in tune with color, right? Like every kid loves a color and then wants everything in that color. Like my kid's favorite color in the beginning was orange, which I thought was amazing because no kids pick orange. So I was like stoked, like, okay, let's get lots of orange. (laughs) Um, And then, so I went to Berkeley and there was no color theory class. Like Berkeley was a very kind of like heady art program. So yeah. there weren't very many, very many like foundational how-to classes. It was mm-hmm. more like here, jump in the pool. Good luck swimming. Yeah. Yeah. So I realized that I just had a hard time making colors that I wanted. Like something was always slightly off. And then, so then I just started playing with color and like realizing that I needed to teach myself how Mm. to make the colors that I wanted to use. I was always interested in like off colors, like, and, and so I had to make them and I didn't want them to be muddy. And I wanted to understand how colors looked next to one another. And so I just kept doing it. And then in my work, I realized I was always trying to pick color combos that were like, a little bit unusual or a little bit awkward and like trying to figure out how that worked and like looking at something and being like, okay, I like the color palette of that. And like, now you can just use an app and it tells you the colors that are in it. But back then, you know, like opening a magazine and like being like, oh, look at that Gucci dress, look at those colors. And then like trying to figure out what colors they were and realizing they were really complex. And then how do they go together? Because 
if I put them like in little squares on a sheet of paper, they don't go together, but they all go together in the dress. Mm. Like what's the balance of that and how's that working? And so, so really good. just a ton of trial and error and like playing with color and playing with color in different mediums because different mediums act differently. So like color in colored pencil is different than color in watercolor or oil paint or acrylic paint. And so realizing that just because you knew how they worked in one area doesn't mean you know how they work in another area. Mm-hmm. And then I started like trying to teach what I knew mm-hmm. and like you know, thinking about the things that were the most challenging, like mixing colors or thinking about like, okay, why when you use primary red and primary blue, do you get the most butt ugly purple ever that is not a purple? And like, you know, they keep telling you that red and blue make purple, but they don't, you know, like being really pissed off about that and like not finding simple answers to that, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Like in all the color theory books that I was reading, you know, like it, and he doesn't really talk about why primary blue and primary red don't make a good purple. No, because that would be questioning the norm, right? What we all know. Yeah. But what if it's you know, what if you want a beautiful purple? How do you right. make a beautiful purple? Right. You need you a have to play with that. Or a crimson or something else. But yeah, so just thinking about all that and then trying to teach it and then like starting to teach it and starting to see people's eyes just get huge. Like, okay, I have this red in my watercolor pan and I hate it. Okay, what's wrong with it? It's not rich enough. Like, okay, so what would you normally do to make it richer? I'd add black and and then it goes kind of purple and you don't like it. Yeah, right. Okay, so let's not add black. Like, what do you know what the complementary color to red is? Like, no, okay, so let's think about a color wheel. What's opposite? Okay, green. I know that seems really counterintuitive, but add a tiny bit of green to your red. And then, oh my God, like that's the red I wanted. And just like seeing people, you know, do these things that I had figured out over, I don't know how many years and just was willing to try them and then giving people permission. It's really just a lot of giving people permission. Like I give you permission to try this very strange color combination, (laughs) see if it works. And if it doesn't, we'll try again, you know? And, and so watching that. And so I had just, I was going down to craftcation to teach watercolor classes and do the personal color wheel because I had developed this thing. And then I had talked to the editor for my first book on the drive down. And I actually had this idea for a completely different book. I was like, I had just had my daughter not that long ago. I was like, I want to put a collection of essays together on parenting as a creative. So I want to ask all my parent artist friends to write an essay about you know, like I was going to ask very specific questions and have them respond to the questions and then like put them all together and write some stuff in between, like based on my own, you know, knowledge and then putting all this stuff together. And she was like, this is a brilliant idea, but I think it's a book that you just need to write. It just needs to be your voice. And you can have a few essays from other people, but I think it should just be you. And I was like, I I don't want to write a book that long like I don't have it in me so like write that and she was like well if you change your mind or if you have another idea get back in touch and I was literally driving to craftcation so then I go and I do my watercolor class and then at the end of class somebody said you know how did you learn all this stuff and I went into my hole I just work a lot and and they're like we wish you had it all together in like one place. Like you should just make a blog about this. And then like the light bulb went off in my head and I was like, Oh, I should write a book. 
Uh-huh. Like that would be a lot easier. <laughs> like it'll That's it. Sometimes point. it's just the things that are so right in front of us that we use every single day. Yeah. yeah. That people would really love to know. Yeah. And I had never, it had never occurred to me so until that very moment. And so then I got back in touch with the other and I was like, okay, I have this idea. And I was like, okay, I have this color theory thing. And then I have this color meditation thing that I've been doing. And I haven't really shared that much about the meditation process, but I think it would really resonate with people. And I want to put them together. Like I want to do an every other chapter, chapter on color theory, chapter on color meditation, chapter. And she was like, okay, great. Send me a table of contents. <laughs> <laughs> well, she probably heard how easily that rolled off your tongue and, and that combination of the color theory and the color meditation, which we also haven't talked about, but it's, it's a, it's a way to practice what you learned in a way that you can make your own immediately. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really, and it's super really forgiving. Cool. And it's mm-hmm. really like, you know, at the end of the day, if you spent a half an hour on it and you hate it, you just throw it out. It's not like this grand piece of artwork no. that you've spent 50 hours on and is like really important to you. And it just gives you all this freedom to like mess up and explore and do all the things that we all say we want to do, but we never actually do. <laughs> yeah. I, I just think it's brilliant. I love it. I'm so glad that book is in the world. And I just think it's one of those staples, you know, it's, it's something you can go back to time and time again for, to learn from, and then just to remind yourself that you're fine, just where you are and just pick up the brush. As my friend, Tony says, just yeah. pick up the brush. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, I can't even count how many personal color wheels I've done. Cause I do yeah. your mood changes, your favorite yeah. red changes. So Not like there's just one. No. And they never, I'm never like, Oh, I'm doing this again. Like I'm never, I mean, I'm also kind of a chart fanatic. So like, I'm never going to be bored of charts. I know some people don't like charts, but I mean, I just love that, like, there's no expiration date, kind of, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm done. This is over. I don't need to do it ever again. Well, and the the cool thing about a creative that likes charts like you is you can help the rest of us who don't, (laughs) who don't do well making them, but need them anyway. So it's very, it's a gift. (laughs) So I would love to hear what's next for you, because I know you've got your fingers in some delicious colors again, et cetera. So, sure. okay. So do you want me to do a visual aid? Cause I have it right here. Sure. <laughs> I'm going to take a little picture of this. Okay. Lisa's showing me her color okay. meditation deck. Here, look Very at this exciting. box. First of all, the box is the box is, a, is the, so the box is a color meditation. The, the box is the color meditation that I did. And then inside the box, you get a little booklet. Oh my gosh. It's all done. Uh-huh. And you get like, there's a ribbon. So you can like, I didn't even know there was going to be a ribbon. Like this was like, so oh my God. cool. And then like all the cards and they're five by five. So they're big. Yeah. Let's describe them. Yeah. Okay. So color meditations took off. Like they became a thing, right? Like uh, people love them, which makes me really happy. So we have um, to describe, to, so we have to give a little background on what, okay. how you came up with color meditations and what. Right. So like, oh God, here's a really simple there. one. Yes. Um, it's just strands of color. So it's me trying to do like, remember those paper, like garlands that used to hang for like seven-year-olds birthdays. 
Okay, so that's the inspiration for this. So color meditation is basically you pick a shape or a mark that you make with your brush and you repeat it over and over and all you do is shift the color. So mm -hmm. it's, it's very like it hones you in. There's like these really nice guardrails to keep you from like going mm -hmm. all over the place. Because you picked a shape. Because you picked a shape. And you're repeating it. And you're repeating it. And so it really lets you hone in on either like, oh, I want to do wet and wet. So I'm learning a technique or, okay, I want to see, are these colors going to work together? You know, like I'm always like, okay, let's try colors that I hate together. Like what does brown look like when it's next to purple? Like normally that's not my thing, but let's see if we can make it work. Um, and so it teaches you a lot about not only your own color sense, but like it expands your color palette, which I always think is great. So there's the something about the repetitiveness of it too. And just picking a shape that again, like we were talking about before, it just, it just breaks the, the seal. You know, you can just go. Yeah. It's like just enough rules so that yeah. you can like push up against them and like maybe start to break them, but also keeps you from being like, Oh, what do I do next? Cause like everything's so open and everything's so full of possibilities that it gets really daunting. Right. Like I'm always like, Oh, I could do this or I could do this or I could do this or I could do this, but just like, okay, I'm going to just do this. shape. Yeah. It just really grounds you. And so I started doing, I did this by accident. Like I did a garland painting cause I was doing research for something. And I realized that as I was painting, it felt like meditating to me. And I'd been trying to meditate and I was not a very good meditator. Like uh, I just really was not. And I really wanted to be, I was same. like, I should be good at this. Like I need this. My sanity needs this. I'm going to do it my way. And every time I tried, I just felt like a huge failure. Like I found some guided meditations at work and like every once in a while I could do it and it was fine, but the painting became the meditation. So the book had 15 prompts um, in between the 15 chapters. And then I did a class for creative bud that had 30 prompts, like some from the book and then additional prompts. And then people kept asking me more prompts, more prompts. Ah. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, how many prompts can I even think up? You know, like, am I going to hit a limit at some point? I mean, like, I can't think of any more. Right. So I was like, okay, maybe I could think of 52 because that's like one a week for a year. And that's a lot, but maybe I could do it. So that's what I did. I came up with 52 okay. prompts and they're all on these cards. And like somebody said to me, oh, I just want to hang the cards up. Sure. You could do that. Like, they're like, I want to frame five of them. And I'm like, knock yourself they're out. Square, colorful, gorgeous, they're cards. square, so, they're colorful, gorgeous. They're square, colorful. Give us an example of a couple of prompts. Okay. So, well, this one's garlands. Mm -hmm. uh, this one is arches. Very cool. Uh, and do you say arches pick a color or do you say arches do them however you want well this is what's really fun so each card gives you like a little gist of how i arrived at this prompt Brilliant. and like things to think about and then because i'm a fan of those parameters and those rules the deck also comes with 10 parameter cards ah. so these guys are in purple and also like can we just shout out to the roost design team like every like the backs have colors when you stack them all together the sides like look like a rainbow oh wow wow, wow. they're so good, good job roost design team yeah good job roost design team huge props 
So like the parameter cards, like this is inside versus outside of a shape. Um, this is a limited palette, right? So like the difference between two, three or four hues, or you could say five or, you know, you could, you know, there's just, it's just endless. This is like in rainbow order, but then like- So you pick from, a parameter card with another card. So you have in like, do the math. Well, 10 times 52 is 520, but then you could go nuts and you could pick two parameters and one card or two cards. Like you want to combine a shape and a parameter or, I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of limitless. Yeah. And very exciting in its own way. And, and very exciting. So like my hope, my dream is like people wake up in the morning they're like, okay, I'm going to do my color meditation. They pull out the cards. They do a little tarot deck thing and they pick one and one and then they sit down and they do it. And then the next day they pick another one and they sit down and they do it. That would be my favorite new gift with a good set of watercolors. In the middle of Lisa's class, I found this cool little, and you have paints too, but this was, this is a little set of watercolors. And I seriously bought it because it was the cutest tin with yeah. colored polka dots, which looks like one of your parameter cards. Yeah, yeah. That's the art philosophy line, right? Yes. 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 Which I also discovered because we went to that store and we were like, what's yes. this? The country Ooh. store on Vashon. Yes. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Deliciousness. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have favorite? I'm sure like, do you have favorite? Do you have watercolors that you love to use for your meditation and watercolors that you like to use in a different way? Or do you have a go-to? You said, I, I know have, you have a bunch. I have so many watercolor sets. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> I mean, I'm always like, I don't have any art philosophy yet. So that's like my next, I love them all. I try them all. They're all different. Like I love the whole bean because there's 103 colors. So you don't have to mix very much. I love the cheap artist loft set at Michael's. They're really chalky, but if you just put some water on it and let the water like soak in, um, they work really well. And the colors are more pastel and not as pigment intense, but just really beautiful. Um, I love Kuretake. I love Mission Mihelo. I love, I mean, I, they're really Sakura. Like there's not a watercolor set I've met where I've been like, oh, you suck. I've never, yeah. I've never disliked a watercolor set. <laughs> it's kind of a problem. <laughs> I think it would be cool to just take photographs of all your watercolors. I bet it would be really interesting. I did do one shot for field guide when I was doing oh, the yeah. promo. I laid it on top of all the different watercolor sets. I'll send it to you so you can yeah. see. And that's one of my favorite shots. And I'm thinking one of the things I haven't done too much of it, but one of the things that I'm thinking about doing more of um, field guide has its own Instagram account is like actually going through different sets mm. and like, oh, that's a good idea. Really that's charting idea. them and being like, this is this set and this is, I've done it like randomly, but like really kind of putting it all together and slowly work through like different art supplies and like, this is what they look like. This is how it works. I mean, I, I feel like you have so many things going on and, and I, that's, I have another question that wraps that together too, but um, it gets me so excited to think about these new, this new deck, the f- field guide whole experience the field guide, Instagram, the ideas you could have about that. I mean, you're known for many different things, but this whole color permission, I feel like, I mean, just after spending that time with you and sitting down, I, I keep, I have a desk that I literally keep the watercolors on and a brush. 
so that in the morning, I don't always have time, but it's there. It's just yeah. right there. Thank yeah. you very much, Lisa Solomon. So, you know, it's, um, I, I recommend, I highly recommend. I, I think, I mean, I think one of the things about being a creative person is like, we all feel torn and like, sometimes we don't have enough time to dedicate what we want to do in a day. Yeah. But this is the most simple thing. Yeah. And like you could do it at the beginning of the day. You could do it at the end of your day. Like even if you're really exhausted, like, Mm -hmm. you know, right before you go to bed, it's like a really calming experience to do that. And sometimes it's great because lighting, like the lighting inside my living room is really yellow. And so I hate Mm -hmm. it because it's not true, Mm. but it's really fun sometimes to do it at the end of the day and be like, I have no idea what this really looks like. And then wake up in the morning and be like, oh, that's what it really looks like (laughs) because it's not yellow anymore. The other cool thing about it too, is I think so personally, so many of the projects I, I get invested in are like, I'm a silversmith and I have to commit. I have to turn the gas on. I have Mm -hmm. to cut something out or I make hats and that is not a short, you know, but with this, I Cause I don't let myself dive into those things very much, but with something like this, with your help, I can just have a creative moment and then get on with my day. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And I think that's, what's beautiful too. They can take five minutes or they can take five hours and like either approach is good and they both do the same thing really. And, you know, you don't have to be overly invested, which I think, again, it's like one of those things, our lives are so busy, but I think like making space for yourself and some kind of creative practice just benefits everything else. Yes. You know, it's like, oh, I'm not thinking about email. I'm not thinking about the drinks that I need to buy for my kids' school. I'm not thinking about vacation planning. I'm not thinking about, yeah. you know, like you really get to be present. And even for five minutes, that's fantastic, right? It can shift your entire day. And I'm always like, oh, I'm in a really crappy mood. I better do a color meditation. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not in a crappy it's, mood. It's like anymore. medicine. It's a positive, it's just a positive gift, really. I love that. Making space for yourself and your creative practice benefits everything else. I wrote that down. Oh, <laughs> I love it. So I, w- I did want to circle back though, to this thought I had when you were talking about all your things. So you, you since you have I love your thoughty artfulness, your thoughty, you're a thoughty creative, as we talked about. So how do you have any advice for those trying to manage a day job and many ideas? How, how has that journey been for you managing those things? Well, I mean, for better or for worse, I am a workaholic, but I do also force myself not to work all the time. So I've gotten a lot better at manage time management. Time management is really key. I think that if you can figure out a time management system that works for you, then you're golden. And I I think everybody's time management system is different. You know, Mm -hmm. I think like some people keep everything on their phone and like their phone yells reminders at them all the time. Like that doesn't work for me. I'm a, I'm a put it in a notebook person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you have a field guide time management system, please. (laughs) That I would do. (laughs) Maybe a color coded field guide. (laughs) I would do that. That would help me so much. (laughs) 
<laughs> we should think about that. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Maybe we can collaborate on how that, what that might look like. <laughs> okay. I'm not, I'm not going to be very good at collaborating about the time management part though. <laughs> but seriously, I mean, you know, when you think about all the things, cause I interrupted your train of thought, but I was really thinking if, if it had, I, I'm always looking for those planners that are done by a creative person. And yeah. I don't mean just a cute drawing on the corner of the page. Yeah, 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 I yeah. mean, like we're thinking and we're managing many layers of things mm -hmm. and we are often workaholics and we do, we know we need to time manage, but how can we get some help from something that is speaking our language, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm very, so the first thing I do is I really guard my studio time, like as much as possible. So I try to have at least two full days in the studio where it's nothing else. I'm not running errands. I'm not answering emails or I answer emails like first thing in the morning and then I stop. Um, or, you know, I just, I try to really guard that time, but then I also make time for fun things like, mm -hmm people coming over to the studio to see what's happening, going out to see shows with people um, or, you know, joining a Zoom like lecture on something that I find really interesting, like doing the things because you need you need the you need to get fed like all of that needs like you you need the outside to come in too, which I think part of is part of why COVID was so hard because it wasn't yeah. the same. Everything was shifting. So figuring all of that out. I think, you know, I used to be a night person, but having a child changed that immensely. Mm. So being open to figuring out new ways, like yes. not being like, oh, I have to do it at this time because otherwise it doesn't work. Like, actually, you probably can train yourself to do it a different way. Yeah. You just have to like be committed to that. So I think like sometimes reframing things, like instead of being like, oh, I only do this at this time, like, right okay, maybe not like just, just being open to that. And that took me a while to figure out. Cause I was very like, no, I need to do things this way. And then this needs to happen. And then this needs to happen. And then it was like, no, it doesn't have to go in that particular order. You can change the order and it'll still function. But like, you know, me, I, I'm a book. I write everything down. And I have several sketchbooks. I have like the sketchbook I paint in, the sketchbook I draw in, the sketchbook I take notes in, the sketchbook that now has the calendar. <laughs> like every, I have multiple. And I like that system because it's like, okay, um, this is this is for this. Like car compartmentalizing helps me a lot. And I know some people don't need that. Some people like everything in one book because they only want to carry one book. But for me, no, I need the like, okay, this is the info sketchbook. This is the, you know, pretty sketchbook. This is the idea sketchbook. <laughs> like, so that helps me out. And then I think, you know, for me, it really was like, you know, like I had to write a book. Let's see, I got the job in like March and it had to be turned in in August. So I had like no time to write 20,000 words. Right. And I was like, how am I going to do this? And it was pandemic and I was teaching online and kid was teaching, you know, learning online. And I was yeah. like, I don't know how I'm going to manage this. And so I really had to think about, okay, you know, 9.30 to 11.30 is writing and then it's lunch. And then 1.30 to 3.30 is writing and then it's mm -hmm. snack time. Yeah. And I really had to like, like, okay, this is what I have to do. 
and get really disciplined about it. And I'm a fan of discipline, so it wasn't hard to regiment. But I think just even thinking about and acknowledging and organizing and prioritizing, like what's, I always feel like I'm putting out a gazillion fires, but which is the one that's the biggest and needs the most attention. And that's and what it happens. changes by the day. It, it could change by the hour. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like, for sure. you know, oh, I thought I was going to do this this morning and then my kid's phone broke. So now I have to take that <laughs> to a repair guy because, okay, so I'm not going to exercise for 45 minutes. I'm only going to exercise for 25 minutes and then I'm going to go take care of the phone and just be like, okay, that's fine. You know, yeah. like 25 minutes is better than no minutes. Like, yeah. And I, you said a couple of things that, you know, I'm sure people are saying, gosh, she does two full days of studio time. I need to do that. Well, so prioritize, you can do that. You can figure out how you can move your, you, well, not everybody can, but often you can move things around. So you really can do the things for yourself and your practice that you need to do. Yeah. And I think too, like just being really open about it. You know, like my kid now is old enough where I can be like, I'm sorry, I can't take you to some, like, I can take you and drop you off on Saturday, but I can't hang out with you on Saturday because I have to paint 150 knots that I just messed up and they have to get done. So you figure out what you need to do and I can help you get there, but I'm not going to be there with you or, you know, okay, partner, like I need to go work for two hours tonight on my website because it needs to get done in two weeks and I'm behind. So not going to sit there and watch a movie with you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm going to do this instead. So I think like if you can be clear and I'm not always good about that either. Like sometimes I'm like, oh no, (laughs) like I feel like I'm letting everybody down. But I think the more clear you can be and then people are really forgiving, you know, like they are. Oh, okay. You know, yeah, especially like you when they see you're trying. Yeah, you they th- you think it's it becomes this big thing in your head, or you know, yeah. like, and it's not. I mean, everyone has to reschedule. I think if you're just honest about it, instead of like, you know, kind of like tiptoeing around it, being like, uh, like I'm all I'm all for like just just tell me, and then we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. I just I think that's such good advice just to remember that we're, you know, we're all human, but you can, you really, it is up to you. It really is. So stop saying you're not organized and find a way to figure out a few things today that you might not have. And tomorrow you'll feel like you, you've learned some things you got somewhere. Yeah. And I think too, I mean, we all, I do this too. We get sucked in like, Oh, I'm spending three hours looking at clogs. I don't even need clogs. (laughs) Like, why am I sucked into this clog thing? Because that color that I saw was so good. I've always Because I really wanted. want gold clogs. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> Seriously, I have gone down that very same road because of that very same reason. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. fine. And I think yeah. not beating yourself up about that. Like, oh, yeah, I could have done all this stuff, but you know what? I just needed some distraction. And if you, if you have that pull to be distracted, there's a reason for it. Right. Right. Like, I think I used to fight that all the time. Like, no, I should be, I should be like working. Like this is work time. And sometimes the distraction leads to something else. Right. I I mean, for sure. I mean, really, if we didn't allow ourselves those distractions there there's, there's such a creative thread in those, I think always. 
Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why your brain is fixated on gold clogs. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. Is it the color gold? Is it because your feet are really hurting and you right. need more comfortable shoes? <laughs> like there's something. There, there's something there. And then just being like, okay, you know what? I'm just gonna explore this. And if yeah. you're really feeling like it's oh no, I feel like I'm wasting time. So set a timer. I have yeah. 30 minutes mm -hmm. to do this. Then you, again, then you don't feel bad about it. It's like, oh, I did that thing. And and now I'm doing the next. Mm -hmm. So good. Mm -hmm. I would love to have you on windowsill workshops doing something with your car you got it. and with the anytime so stay tuned people. Cause that will be a fun <laughs> one. Anytime. <laughs> I feel like I could talk about so many subjects with you. We'll have to have a uh, Elisa Solomon reoccurring visit. I would love shows. that. That would be thrilling. I do. I feel like we could talk for like four hours and not even be done. No, we're just now starting. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I love it. So I always like to know who's inspiring people. Wow. Or who's inspiring you today? Because of course that changes like, like the favorite color wheel. Yeah. There's so many people and things that inspire me all the time. I mean, it's just, uh, I, I feel like sometimes I have to be careful because there's too many things that are inspiring and then I get overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, in terms of like artists, I mean, I have a, a long list of favorites, but um, so Catherine Sherwood, who was my teacher at UC Berkeley, she's yeah. just incredibly, she was a mentor. I worked for her for a while. I learned a lot about what it means to be a real artist in the world through her. That's she a had a deal. kid. I watched her raise a kid and still have a career. And that was super inspiring. Um her work also just like speaks volumes to me. Like mm. I, I just, I adore her work and she's a very heady person mm. too. There's a lot of thought, but there's also just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful painting and technique in her work. So she's mm. always huge. And at the top of my list, um, Eva Hesse, who's mm -hmm. like a sculptor, uh, worked with crazy hybrid materials <laughs> all the time, uh, like latex and things that aren't necessarily going to last, but just the way she thought about process and, um, making her work. And she was really dedicated to it in a way that I find incredibly inspiring. Um, Agnes Martin, mm -hmm. she's like very minimal and, and also just the way she talks about, she's like a walking contradiction. If you read uh -huh. any of her writings, like at one point she'll say like, you know, you need to be inspired. You need to interact with people. And then at another point she'll be like, you need to close yourself off from the world and <laughs> like not have like pets or, or partners or children. And, and then she'll contradict herself again. But I love that because yeah. I feel like that's thinking really how we think, you know, and like one day we can be like, I just want to hole up in my studio. And the next day we can be like, I want to go out for drinks with everybody. And both yeah. things are valid. And it's allowed. Yeah. But I love, I think that's it. The validity. It's okay. It's okay to have all those feelings. Yeah. Yeah. And her work is also incredibly meditative and just inspiring. Um, so those are like three women artists that I always, you know, I think I mentioned Joan Mitchell. I love her work mm -hmm. too. Um, Alice Neal. I'm trying yeah. to stick with only women because I feel like the uh, men get talked about a lot. Um, <laughs> even though I do like lots of male artists. Well, there's so many. I mean, my, you know, I, I just, my list could go on and on, but I do find, I love finding inspiration. Like you, Lisa, that just, I'm so glad I, I 
walked into that room where you were painting. Cause I, I found a lot. I like it when something changes the way I look at something mm-hmm. or makes me think a little bit differently. And mm-hmm. I think with your book and these cards and just meditation and thinking about colors in a slightly different way. Um, I just, it just is a nice, it's a creative gift is what it is. And I really like that. That makes me so happy. And I mean, just hearing that is, is, I mean, it just fills, it fills me up with all the good feelings, which is great. Cause you know, sometimes it's hard to take that in or to be like, yeah. really? Like it had that effect on you. And like, I believe you, which is great. <laughs> I mean it. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, but I, have a, I have a hard time accepting. I, I think that I do too. That's a human thing, but I love that you came to this by just doing something you were doing yourself anyway. It was something that you worked out that helped you. It mm-hmm. was how you were teaching others and you had the right conversation with the right, you know, editor. And, and now a lot of people can benefit from that. Yeah. I really feel like so many of the best things that happen is like serendipity, right? Like it's kind of like not being afraid to be vulnerable and to put yourself out there and like rejection always hurts, but like just being like, you know what? It's okay. If it's rejected, then it's not the right time or the right space. And then just being willing to like, keep trying that because I feel like if you're in the right place at the right time with the right person and having the right conversation, it all comes together and like almost this like seamless, like, you know, it's right. Right. Like you just get this, like, Oh, this is the right thing. And I love that. Like, it's like, it's like a high that you cannot, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah, it really is. And to get it that way is, I don't know, super rewarding. I think that's why, that's why we keep doing what we do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like if you only get it once, like I had a professor once who was like, you know, if an artist has one good idea for their whole life, then they're doing really well. And that like really sunk in with me because it's like, oh, I just need one good idea. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, even if all the other ones suck, like if one is really good, yeah. then I've done my job, right? Like that's, that's, that's it. My grandfather always used to tell us, you're not a true horseback rider until you fall off the horse. So I spent so much time worried about falling off the horse and not wor- worried about not falling off the horse. Like get that idea, just get your hands dirty, get that paintbrush out, you know, fall off, get back up again, mm-hmm. keep having ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish we talked about that more like as a society and as a, as a creative group of people, like we so often talk only about the successes or people are only interested in like the a plus moments. And there are so many, you know, grinding, grueling, disappointing, mm-hmm. <laughs> like unhappy moments behind all of that. And none of those are necessarily bad either. You know, like thinking about like things that happened that may have felt like the worst possible thing at the time in the end, it really was probably for the best or, you know, because that bad thing happened, this really great thing happened because all of a sudden you were thinking about something different. Right. And so you had it a different way. Yeah. You just can't, you can't close yourself off. Like the, the search for only the positive, I feel like is so it's like traumatizing. And so it is, it's not, it's not real. No. Okay. That'll be our next conversation.
<laughs> Write that down because I'll forget. Right. Oh, don't worry. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> tell tell people where they can find you. Uh, okay, so I have a website, which is my name. So you just have to spell it correctly. S-O-L-O-M-O-N, Lisa Solomon. Um, that's the same handle for Instagram. So at Lisa Solomon. Um, I have disavowed Twitter, so I'm not on there anymore. <laughs> Um, so those are kind of the two best places. And then and you said field guide has its own Instagram too. Field guide. So that's a field guide to color with underscores and all the spaces. Okay. Um, I think I link it, link to it in my regular Instagram though. So if you find my regular one, you can find field guide Great. and then the books are available anywhere. So um, you can get them directly from roost. You can get them from the gigantic conglomerate known as Amazon, or you could do like um, IndieBound or any place. They're all over the place. Um, and I think that's it. I don't think I'm anywhere else. <laughs> I, I have, think that's a I lot of good places. Shrunk, I have shrunk the amount of places that I interact with. <laughs> I think, I think, I think you're well covered. <laughs> awesome. Well, all this information I'll make sure is on the show notes. And this, I just, as I said, I do think we could talk and talk and talk. I love how you think and just what you add to this creative space is very rich. And I really appreciate oh, it. That feeling is totally mutual. I feel the same way about you. You're one of those people who is so generous and kind and, you know, isn't like, this is my slice of the pie. Like mm-hmm. it's very much like there's pie for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. Pick your flavor. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Before you go, I just want to say a quick thanks for tuning in. I hope you found something useful to take away and something to make you think. For those of you listening in on Spotify, and I know there are many, you now have the cool option to show your love for Windowsill Chats quickly and easily. From the show page in the Spotify app, you can simply tap to rate it one to five stars. And of course, I'll really appreciate it too if you leave a review wherever you might be listening. See you next week, lovelies, and I hope it's a creative one.